At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign over all. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. Well, amen and amen. Can't tell you how wonderful it is to be here worshiping with all of you this morning. Thank you for uh, being so gracious and welcoming us. Um, I want to introduce you to someone, uh, someone who I've never met, but someone who uh, I've often thought about over the last few years, uh, a number of times actually. Her name is Rachel Joy Scott. Maybe that name sounds familiar to you. Uh, but before school shootings became, unfortunately, more commonplace, uh, before there were protocols and procedures in place, there was Columbine High School. And on April 20th, 1999, two active shooters uh, entered into the school, and they began shooting it up. And it's said that when they came to Rachel Scott, they put a gun to her head and asked her one question. Do you still believe in God? And presumably, another student's life had already been spared for saying no. And so the pressure was on. But Rachel Scott said, yes, you know that I do. And so before the trigger was pulled and she was killed execution style, with a shot to the head, she declared her faith to an amazing God. And for this reason, many consider Rachel Scott uh, a modern Christian martyr, someone who died for, for her faith or died uh, because of her faith. And I found myself thinking about that over the years, uh, again and again. Would I have the same strength? Would I have the same courage, the same resolve as this young teenage girl? And honestly, the, the answer is yes. I mean, absolutely. Like, gun to my head, staring into the face of death, I am going to remain faithful to my God. But the truth is, most of us will never be faced with that situation. We won't be faced with execution or death because of our faith. And so what about when the consequences aren't so severe? Or what about when the consequences seem as if they are less? What about when people 
politicians or organizations in this world today point the proverbial gun at our head and demand that we recognize so-called gay marriage or the use of preferred pronouns or a woman's right to choose what to do during her pregnancy. You see, the world is pressuring Christians to conform to its ever-changing ideals of morality or face the consequences. And so this poses an interesting question for us today. If we are constantly being confronted and challenged to compromise in our faith by a culture that is hostile to our king and his kingdom, then how are we to respond? How do we live with courageous faith in a hostile culture? And that's exactly what we've been looking at together in this series, the the study in the book of Daniel. And it's why we've titled the series, Daniel, Clash of the Cultures, right? Because Daniel and his friends are living in the midst of the hostile kingdom of Babylon. And they are struggling with how they can live in this culture and yet remain faithful to their God. And so we've already looked at a number of cultural influences that they had to fight against. We saw the social influences, the educational influences, and the religious influences. All these tools that the culture uses to try to manipulate uh, or cause people to compromise in their faith in God. Uh, Last week, Pastor Dan did a great job explaining that when it comes to the things of this world, our God is greater, right? God's wisdom is greater. God's kingdom is greater. His authority is greater. God is greater, something that was then echoed by King Nebuchadnezzar himself by the end of chapter 2. He says, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. Revealer of all mysteries. And so if you missed any of those previous messages, let me just encourage you to go back, watch the replay on Facebook, or you know, stream the, uh, the podcast again. Uh, but today we're going to look at one of the most well-known stories from the book of Daniel, uh, maybe short of Daniel and the lion's den, which will be later on in chapter 6. Uh, but it's the story of Daniel's friends and the fiery furnace. And I love doing this. I, I love... Uh, looking at the stories that we loved in Sunday school or at at bedtime as kids and rereading them as adults and picking up on all these truths that were there the whole time, but all of a sudden they're new and they're fresh in my mind and they stick out to me uh, because God's word is timeless, right? It is living and it is active. And so no matter how many times we read it, there's always something for us. There's always something for us to to take away from it. And so I say all that just to help prepare you to hear a story that maybe you've already heard before, uh, maybe you're a a little familiar with already, but also just to point out that I can't possibly go over every detail. I can't possibly explain every truth that we see in in this story. And so I also just want to encourage you to make sure you grab a copy of the study guide if you don't have one already. The study guide we put together for Daniel will help you. You can take that home, go through it in your personal time with the Lord, your quiet time, 
or uh, read through the, the questions with your uh, small group, you know, throughout the week. Uh, but utilize that tool because it, it will help you to go a little deeper, to have a little better understanding of, of everything that's happening here. But I want to invite you in this moment to open your Bibles uh, or your Bible app. If you want to use that, that's fine. Uh, to Daniel chapter 3. Join me there. Daniel chapter 3. It, it's here we read about Daniel's friends as they confront the temptation to compromise their faith because of the culture around them. And what we see is that a courageous faith rejects idolatrous worship. Courageous faith rejects idolatrous worship, and that's our big idea today. There's three ways that we see this playing out in Daniel chapter 3. Three ways that help us to then answer this question, how do we live with faith in a hostile culture? And the first way is that we reject cultural idolatry. As God's people, we must reject cultural idolatry. Let's begin reading Daniel chapter 3 together. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So, even though King Nebuchadnezzar had acknowledged the God of the Bible, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at the end of chapter 2, the God of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he has not submitted himself 
to this God. He has not submitted himself to the Lord. We know this because as we begin reading in chapter 3, it describes King Nebuchadnezzar creating an image out of gold to be worshipped. Now, this thing, just to put it in modern measurements, would have been about 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and we don't know exactly what it looked like. We're not told what the image is of, but we are told what it is for. We are told what its purpose is, and it is made to be worshipped, which in the Bible is, is something called an idol. Okay, and the worship of a false god or an idol is the practice of idolatry. Okay? And so this idolatry is now mandated by the king so that if you didn't bend your knee, if you didn't bow down in worship, then you were to be thrown into a fiery furnace. You were to be put to death. And so for the most part, the people just go along with it, right? They accepted it. The music was played, and they bowed down in worship. But despite masses of people bending their knee, bowing down in worship, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not. They refuse to do this. Instead, they are rejecting the cultural idolatry that is around them because it is a direct violation of God's law. So let's look at this. In Exodus chapter 20, God gives the Ten Commandments to his people. And the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. But Babylon is a polytheistic, meaning multiple God culture. It is a synchronistic society, meaning they just take little pieces of each religion and kind of put them together into one. And so in this polytheistic, uh, synchronistic society, they may have said, oh, hey, you know, guys, I think you misunderstand us here. We're not saying you can't worship your God. No, 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 no. We're saying you just need to add this other God to your list of gods. No big deal, right? Well, this is where the second commandment becomes very useful, very helpful to us, because it clearly says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or in the water beneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, am the Lord your God am a jealous God. And so for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Jews who were raised in the Jewish faith, this golden image that was created presented a problem. It was a direct challenge to their faith. But notice how they handle this, okay? They don't go out and protest and cause civil unrest. Uh, they don't take to social media and begin blasting King Nebuchadnezzar for infringing on their rights and their freedoms. It seems like for the most part, they, they try to keep to themselves. They try to uh, be individual about it. 
because they have a deep uh, personal resolve to remain faithful to God. But you see, they're not putting this disagreement on public display for everyone to see. And yet, take note, people do notice. People notice them quietly not participating, not bowing down in worship of this idol. And so eventually they're brought before the king with the charge of defying the king's orders and not worshiping this golden image. You see, there is pressure from the culture that is around them to participate in this idolatry. But courageous faith rejects cultural idolatry. Now, it's tempting in, in our present day, in our culture, to think that, well, you know, we don't have idolatry. <laughs> That's silly. We don't worship little physical images or statues. Let me tell you, that's just not the case, okay? Remember, idolatry is about what you give your heart to. And so maybe, maybe instead of a golden image, the idol of your heart is represented by a Facebook logo or your Netflix account or ESPN Football, ooh, am I, am I stepping on any toes? So sorry. We have idols all around us, things that fight for our time, our attention, the affections of our hearts. I'll tell you one thing for certain. One of the cultural idols in America is the love of money, consumerism, obtaining more and more things. I mean, from the evangelism of marketing... <laughs> to the ritual practice of shopping and getting that dopamine rush. Amazon makes it so easy. Don't they? It just shows up on your door. Another dopamine rush right there. Oh, man. And we want the cultural styles and the fashions and the next greatest tech gadget or gizmo. We want the latest TikTok made me buy it thing, Right? It all has a way of capturing our imagination and stirring our hearts to worship. You understand what I'm saying? For us to reject cultural idolatry, it's probably not as simple as not showing up to the worship party of a 90-foot statue. It's going to take a little more work in order to identify our idols and in order to actively fight against them. But as God's people, we should reject our cultural idols. And as we do, God's word is clear, we should also anticipate them facing opposition for doing so. In fact, that's, that's what we read about, right? That's what happens to these three friends. It says in verse 8, Therefore at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They ratted them out. <laughs> They told on them to the king. And as we continue reading in Daniel, we see the second way that, that we can live with faith in a hostile culture, and that is to refuse to compromise. As God's people, we must refuse to compromise. Let's continue reading, starting in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, 
O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and to worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We will not compromise. Now, it's here where we see kind of two sides of King Nebuchadnezzar, right? The first thing we see is that he, he seems to have had uh, a little bit of wisdom, uh, maybe a little bit of grace in this situation because, I mean, he is furious when he finds out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been disobedient to his orders. But to his credit, he doesn't just fly off the handle. He doesn't just go off the deep end and say, kill them, off with their heads. No, he says, you know what? Bring these men to me. I want to see if this is actually true. I, I want to hear it from them. I want to see this for myself. A little bit of wisdom in that. And he gives them a second chance, just in case maybe they didn't understand. Maybe there's something going on. They, they just didn't know what to do. And so he says, guys, look, all it takes is a simple bow, you know, j just, just for a few minutes, and you'll retain your jobs. Hey, you'll keep your status in the community. You, you'll, you'll maintain your wealth and your life, okay? <laughs> You're going to live. But as we continue reading, we see that Nebuchadnezzar is is not doing this because he's a nice king. <laughs> he's not actually doing this because he is compassionate for these men. In reality, it's because he's extremely arrogant. He just doesn't believe <laughs> that anyone would have the gall, the audacity to defy his orders. Because in his own words, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That's some serious arrogance, isn't it? No God that I know of will be able to deliver you from me. Oh, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to compromise because they know a God that King Nebuchadnezzar does not. They know a God, like we talked about last week, a God who is greater and so they, they not only refuse to compromise, they double down and they put Nebuchadnezzar in his place saying, you want to know what God will save us from you? You want to know what God is greater than you? Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. 
But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to compromise because their allegiance, their loyalty was to another king the king of heaven and earth, an eternal king over an eternal kingdom. You know, just this past week, we celebrated the life and the legacy of someone who gives us another great example of what it means to have courage and to refuse to compromise in the face of cultural pressure. I'm talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's because of his faith and his resolve to obey God rather than man, that he is able to remain strong in the, in the opposition of slavery. And it's just a powerful reminder of, of the high call of, of the church to stand against cultural idolatry, whatever it may be, and to be a people who refuse to compromise, a people who stand firmly on the word of God. The question that's before all of us today is the same that it was for Daniel's friends. Will we be faithful to obey the word of God despite cultural consequences, or will we compromise? The courageous faith rejects cultural idolatry. There's one last thing we see in the story that helps us to be bold and to live with courageous faith in a hostile culture, and that is we trust in God's deliverance. As God's people, we must learn to trust in God's deliverance. Let's read the rest of this passage, starting in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. All right, so King Nebuchadnezzar is upset. He is angry. He is filled with fury. So much so that the fiery furnace, which would have already been hot, you understand, I mean, it was, it was probably a smelting furnace, so its job was to melt metal and to burn up any extra impurities. The king says, that's not enough. Uh-uh. I want it heated. I want you to stoke that fire seven times the normal temperature. In fact, <laughs> it's so hot. The flames are so great that the mighty men, the king's hired hands, who he orders to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, they get burnt up and killed just trying to get close enough to push them into the furnace. That's hot. And let's face it. It's one thing to talk smack to the king. 
It's one thing to brag about how great your God is. But it's another thing to maintain your faith when you can see a red-hot furnace. When you can begin to feel the heat of the flames on, the, on your face, that's when the rubber meets the road, right? That's when things get real. And yet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remain strong in their faith as they are thrown into this fiery furnace, trusting that God would deliver them. Now let's keep reading, picking up in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except for their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Do you see what happened Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted in God's deliverance, and God showed up in a miraculous way. So this is probably a good time to pause and recognize that God didn't prevent them from experiencing the fire, but he preserved them through it so that his power and his presence would be made known, not just to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not just to the king and the satraps and the prefects and the governors, but to all people, everyone around them in an undeniable way. And do you understand that just would not have been possible if God had spared them from the fire? I mean, if, if God had worked in the king's heart if he had softened the king's heart so that he would have mercy on these young men. And so the king said, okay, listen, you know what? 
Your buddy Daniel, he's the guy who interpreted my dream, right? We're in good. So listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys a pass. I'm going to let this slide, okay? Let's just let's keep it on the down low. Let's keep this between you and me. If he would have done that, then who would have seen the powerful presence of God? But now, instead, God gets national notoriety because of the courageous faith of these three young men and their devotion to the Lord. See, God didn't prevent the fire, but he preserved them through it. And because of it, his name was glorified. Friends, can I just say that there are times when God will allow us to go through the fire and our world will be turned upside down. But God puts us in the fire so he can give us his power and his presence to preserve us in a miraculous way through it. And it can become a beautiful testimony of the faithfulness of God, not only to us in our own lives, but to everyone around us, to everyone else who is a part of our lives, who can witness the power of God taking place. Some of the most wonderful testimonies of the Lord's faithfulness come from drawing near to him during the most challenging struggles of our lives. When life happens and we aren't sure how we are going to make ends meet. When we're sitting in an office and we receive a devastating diagnosis like cancer. Or when we lose a loved one. It's when we enter into these struggles that we feel his loving presence so near to us all around us, and people witness that in our lives. It's why by the end of the story, King Nebuchadnezzar himself declares, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. You have seen people go through it. You have seen people just being wrung out, and you have seen incredible faith, and you maybe ask the same question, how do they do it? How can they go through this? The answer is the peace that surpasses all understanding. The power and the presence of God himself in his spirit. We can absolutely trust in God's deliverance. But I also need you to understand something. Call this a caveat, if you will. But when it comes to trusting in God's deliverance, Ultimately, it is not about our circumstances. And we see this in our story. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's hope was not in being saved from the flames. I want you to look closely with me at verse 17 and 18 again. They say, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will. Deliver us out of your hand, O kid. You see, one is a statement about God's ability and the possibility of being saved from the flames. The other is a statement of absolute confidence that God will deliver them from the king one way or another. And so the sentiment is this. 
God has the power to save us from these terrible circumstances. But even if he doesn't, and even if we die, we will still be graciously delivered from your hands, O King. You see, their hope, their ultimate hope, is in heaven. And this is the same sentiment the Apostle Paul echoes, right? When he says, for me, to live is Christ, but to die, to die is gain. And it's an important distinction that we all need to make because God has the ability to preserve you. He does. He can preserve you with his power and his presence and his spirit through the loss of your job, through your divorce, through your addiction, through whatever may come your way in this life. But our ultimate hope is not in our circumstances becoming better. Our ultimate hope is not in this life. It is in heaven. It is in eternity with God. And this perspective is critical. This perspective of ultimate deliverance, that is what allows us to live with a courageous faith that rejects cultural idolatry. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wasn't the first pagan leader that demanded people's allegiance. He wouldn't be the last. In fact, by the end of the first century, the Roman emperor Domitian uh, began enforcing widespread persecutions of Christians, specifically. And they had their homes destroyed, their belongings taken away. They were sent into sporting arenas to be torn limb from limb by wild animals while the crowds cheered them on. They were impaled on stakes and burned alive. They were crucified by the hundreds and lined on the roads to and from Rome as a sign. This is what happens to Christians. And what did God give them? Did he give them a way to escape? No. He gave them the hope of heaven. The promise that all wrongs would be made right by the judge of this universe and there would be a glorious eternity waiting for them. And you know what? It, it's a simple fact of history that it worked. That was enough for them. <laughs> it's been documented that they sung hymns as they were torn apart in the arenas in front of the crowds. That they prayed for their murderers and they forgave them while they were being burned alive at the stake. Listen, they faced death with a peace and a poise that was unlike anything that had ever been seen before. So much so that Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, said, the blood of the martyrs is like seed. Because the more they killed the Christians, the more the faith just grew and grew. Because when people see that kind of a change in someone, when they see the hope of heaven on your heart, they want to know about it. They want to know what you have that they don't have. And if we can get a hold of this, oh, friends, if we can get a hold of this, just like the first century martyrs, just like modern martyrs, like 17-year-old Rachel Scott, we can live with a courageous faith in a hostile culture, rejecting 
cultural idolatry, refusing to compromise and trusting in God's deliverance, becoming great witnesses to the glorious power and presence of God to all the Nebuchadnezzars around us in this world. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the gift of your word today. But Father, we confess that when the idols of this world fight for our attention, God, our hearts and our minds are so easily pulled away from you. In many ways, we, we spend the majority of our time worshiping people, places, and things other than you. And so forgive us, we pray, because you are the only one who is actually worthy of our worship. Father, we ask you would pour your spirit out on us, that you would fill us with your power and your presence so that when things get tough, when the world around us begins to pressure us to give in and to compromise our faith in little ways or in great ways, that instead of praying for that our circumstances would change, that things would get better, that you would give us strength. You would help us to lean into you God, that you would sustain us and preserve us through the fire, growing our faith, deepening our relationship with you even more. Oh God, may our lives put the power of the gospel on display for everyone around us to see, and may you be glorified in it. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, we ask these things today. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.